0: What's going on with the surface of planet Earth? And how are the living systems in the Central Valley of California responding to the crises? Stay tuned to hear stories and updates from your host Pegasus on peril and promise for the next 28 minutes. Born in the Modesto Peace Life Center, this monthly radio program emerged to educate everyone on environmental injustices and the recovery of human health despite climate chaos. In each episode of Peril and Promise, Pegasus encourages you to recognize how our physical and mental health is inextricably linked to our ecological habitat.
1: Life is Life is unreal. Welcome to
2: Peril and Promise. I'm your host, Pegasus, and today our guest is an author of prose and poetry, a woman of passion, a retired hiker, and a lover of mountains who has a lot to say about the past 81 years she's been writing since age five. So welcome, Joan Thomas. Hello, and I'm glad to be here, and I hope I'm talking
3: loudly enough.
2: (laughs) Yes, it looks like according to the instruments you are. For full disclosure, I met Joan about 22 years ago when I was researching her late spouse. And we've been we've had many conversations on a variety of topics. And Joan is currently helping me with some of my own writing for the sake of historical accuracy. Uh, but this is the first time we've sat down to have a radio interview. Uh, so again, welcome to Peril and Promise to our audience. This is on the Valley's own kcbpradio.org. And, um, Josephine, Joan. I should just call you Joan, right? Yeah, right. Okay. Um, I don't know anyone else I've met who's got such a sharp memory like you of the greatest hikes in places like California, Arizona, and Utah. What other states, out of those beyond those three, have you done hikes in?
3: Well, actually, I like best the Mazatzal area. How do you say that? Mazatzel, that's how I say it. Mazatzel, okay. But let's see, Mazatzel, I mean, I don't know, it's M-A-Z-A-T-A-L, it's an Indian, and oh, yeah, Native yeah. American, uh-huh. Indi- indigenous, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's my favorite area for hiking in Arizona.
2: And, and um, yeah, a lot of times people talk about, um, as as more of non-native people like myself are learning more about indigenous lands and history, sometimes we'll say places like, we'll say things like. You've been in hiking in so-called Arizona because we're still trying to know the names of all the different territories. One,
3: one I, oh, well, the San Francisco peaks, yeah. the, the, those are the sacred mountains for the Navajos, and I've been up Mount Humphreys many times. That's the mm-hmm. highest of them, and what its name is in Navajo, I'm sorry, I don't know. Yeah,
2: there's so much that we all have to learn, the history yeah. to recover. So there's a lot for us non-Indigenous people to learn about the history and to connect better with the original hosts of the lands. But anyway, um, back to hiking. Um, Have you done, what what parts of California have you hiked in? Sierras. Sierra Nevadas? And Uh it is my, I was born
3: there, but I I left at six years old to go to Minnesota. Uh And uh, when I came back west, the first area in which I lived was Utah, and that's where I did a tremendous amount of hiking. And there, without question, my favorite mountain is Timpanogos.
2: Timpanogos, okay. And that's probably a native word, probably. Yeah, uh, well, that's
3: about four, uh, near, near Provo. It's about 40 miles south of Salt Lake City. Uh-huh, Mount Timpanogos. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, and so uh, in California, back to California for a minute, you've been in the uh, Sierra Nevadas. Did you, is Mount Whitney? I don't know my... Yeah, Oh,
3: to that mountain, I, I did the, the saddle. This is uh-huh. a one-day hike. So I just usually they well they can done the whole thing can be done in one day but usually they maybe camp hit the saddle but I just walked, hiked there and came back.
2: Yeah, have your have your hiking excursions ever been overnight with camping? No, nope. we never always... carried
3: never carried a backpack. Never have stayed overnight. Uh-huh. I really rather but whatever I can do in one day is what I do. Yeah. But in the old days I was good for 20 miles on a mountain. You can do a pretty good hike 20 miles round trip. And then I was also good for a 100 miles round trip on a, on a bike. But I've never... Oh, on a bike, too. Yeah, long well, distance biking. But the thing is, I've never really had the physical endurance to go huge amount of biking. Right. The day after day after day. Although yeah, some, you're
2: not the kind of person that would do the Pacific Coast Trail for... No, unfortunately,
3: I would never have been able to do the Pacific Coast Trail. Yeah. But so. I read an incredibly good um, book by... And I wish I could think of her name because she's well-known, and she did it, and by herself. Incidentally, I want to say, too, that nearly all my hiking I've done alone. Oh, yeah. Because it's a lot more fun, more exciting, and you never, never know what the devil's going to happen, or if you get lost, and man, uh-huh. uh, may the mountain gods take care of you. <laughs>
2: yes, and you're an octogenarian, so you were doing um, hiking alone in what, what part of U.S. history? Was that the 1950s, 60s, 70s? I started hiking mountains when I was thirteen. So that and was, then in the I, was 40s. In the, I was in the Black
3: Hills, and my, I was with my sister in South Dakota. Yeah, in South Dakota, and that's the first hike I did. And after that, I became addicted to mountains and I'd done as much as I possibly could over the years. Uh-huh. As a female identified person in the nineteen forties, well, I didn't remember that I was born in thirty four. So, what's uh-huh. uh, Figure it out. Yeah, I was 13 when okay, I started so hiking. Okay, so probably
2: around 1950 or so. When yeah, you know. and
3: and with my first husband, we did a lot of hiking. Uh huh. And then that marriage dissolved, and the next was Ammon, and he and I hiked together uh, Mount Timpanogos, and that's uh-huh. a pretty damn good hike. It was 18 miles around trip for a man his age. He was. I think 71 or something like that. He was that. much older than you were. but yeah. um, And he loved mountains too. And he said that was the most beautiful place we'd, he'd ever been. And I agreed.
2: Uh-huh. Mount Tipinogos. Wow. Um, so you just mentioned Ammon. Uh, he was your second spouse. Yeah. And uh, you hiked uh, Mount Tipinogos with him.
3: Well, yeah, we had to cut the hiking down. I mean, I just got worried about him, concerned about him. Uh-huh. And so eventually he would go so far and then... Uh, he would wait while I did the rest of things.
2: So he was in his 70s, and you yeah. were in your 30s? I,
3: I was thirty. he oh. was I was he was forty one years older than I, so mm-hmm. I was thirty. he was seventy one, I believe. So you were
2: with him till he died.
3: Yeah, we yeah. had a great time. He said it was the happiest years of his life. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was very grateful. Be, I would say about him that he lived a very private, a, pu- a very public life. But I gave him a personal life, yeah. which I don't think he'd ever had, really.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so for more full disclosure, um, that was how I first met you was to, when I was trying to learn more about Ammon Hennessy. Yeah, right. And so I've done a... Personally, I've done a documentary about him, and I mentioned in our introduction that you're helping me with some of the historical facts of a sc- the... A
3: screenplay, yeah. Yeah, that
2: I'm working on now about the life of Ammon Hennessy, who died in 1970. Yeah. Um, and uh, as you said, he was... 41 years older than you. 41. And you got to be with him. Did them. you get that down? 41. 41, yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for because, the historical because accuracy.
3: It was, we had so much fun with that. We really did. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's what reminded me of that that. Um, uh, I've heard the story. I've read it. Um, I don't know if you tell the same story. But the way Ammon said was that... Um, Somebody would say, "Oh, good to meet you, Mr. Hennessy," because he was a, a radical activist and he would do speaking tours, and somebody would meet him for the first time and they'd see you next to him and they'd say, "And is this your daughter?" and he'd say, "Hell no, she's my spouse and or wife and she's young enough to be my granddaughter." Yeah, that was one of his favorite jokes. <laughs> yeah, we
3: really had fun together.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: He, he was remarkably young for his age. Uh-huh. And I would say people would think he was 10 years younger than he was.
2: Ah, yeah, very uh, virile
3: and. Well, yeah, he kept yeah. in condition, but uh, what I really think killed him, or what was damn fast he did. Forty, he did a lot of 40, 40 and more days. And years later, after he had died, I heard that fasting is very hard for the uh, very damaging to the heart.
2: He was a marathon faster. It wasn't just like one day no, a week, keep no, you no. doing No, it was
3: 40. As long as fast, I think, were 47 days. Wow.
2: I know that uh, he was uh, a bit notorious, historically speaking, for... uh, after the nuclear bomb went off. Um, oh, definitely, so I, definitely. Like so, it's like 1955 is 10 years later, so he'd do 10 days of fasting. Yeah, yeah, he did for the one day yeah. for each year. So that's kind of a marathon fast, and it was not healthy. Oh, definitely. For, us. Mm-hmm. for the the audience that's just tuning in right now, uh, I'm Pegasus here on Peril and Promise, and I'm speaking with Joan Thomas um, about some aspects of her life. And we're gonna take a quick breather right here for 30 seconds, and then we'll be right back with Peril and Promise.
1: They leave so bad. Wash away my face with passion. These times when I feel a single star in space, take me to that place. Welcome
2: back to Peril and Promise. I'm your host, Pegasus, and with me today. In my home studio during pandemic is Joan Thomas. Hello, Joan. Yeah, hi. Um, before the break, we were talking about uh, hiking and a little bit about your what, your second spouse, Ammon Hennessy. Um, you've been married more than after Ammon died in 1970, when you were 41 years younger than him. Uh, you... Well, I, then then I
3: I remarried uh, again, and that was um, Joseph Craigmile. Mm-hmm. and he he and Ammon had been really good friends and. Mm-hmm. Joe had lots of problems, such as schizophrenia, but he was quite interesting. And he himself was also uh, an anarchist, a pacifist, and he did 15 um, year, months in Latuna prison in Texas during the Korean War, and that was... Wait, so tell me, why did he do time in during the Korean War? Well, because he, he was really good friends with Ammon, so he would help Ammon... With his picketing and fasting and all that. This was before I'd ever met a so What of was them. the
2: charge that he went to jail for? Hmm? What was the charge? Oh, oh right being there? a CO. And he did all And
3: CO. then he was yeah. driving around with his truck. He, he was a. He um, had a pickup truck that he used for his produce business. Yeah. And so he would drive around and on it was anti-war and all that kind of thing.
2: So this will be an interesting uh, topic for a future episode of Peril and Promise to talk more about the history of conscientious objection or CO status. Because I think I think it's more legal. It's more uh, because of people like Ammon Hennessy and Joe Craigmile and the Hopi resistors, other people that resisted um, uh, being conscripted. I think the laws have changed and made it less illegal now. Yeah,
3: well, I don't know why, but he was—he still went ahead and did all this picketing. Whatever he was doing, he was making enough disturbance, along with Ammon, that, okay. yeah. that they... Um,
2: and so then you had a couple spouses after that, or one more after Joe Cramile? Oh, that was
3: Leon. Leon. Joe jo- jo died of a very rare form of skin cancer um, 12 years after our getting together, and... My next friend was also a radical, but he was not a pacifist, just an anarchist.
2: When you were, um, when you were married to Joe, you, as you mentioned, with your first spouse, you got to hike some back in the 1950s. And then with Ammon in the 60s, you, he would hike, but he was 41 years older, so he wasn't as no. able to do. And so he would stand back a little bit as you would go hiking more individually or independently. But what okay. about with Joe? Did he ever hike with you? Or?
3: Yeah, he would. He, he never made it to the top, okay. but he but he would, He did not care for hiking, but he would walk so far and then rest.
2: And then, um, uh, your third spouse after that, after Leon. That?
3: Yeah, Leon was um, a very interesting person, also and anti-war, of course, as only any sane person can be, no matter right. what how they feel about other things. And, uh, and he was an IWW. From about so he, the age of sixteen, and he was definitely and, a, definitely a radical, but he was of the violent time, which isn't the best. But uh, um, I so think
2: he, you, your third spouse was Industrial Workers of the World, or IWW, or Wobbly. Um, but did he also wasn't he in the military, or did you have a, any? Um, he he did
3: enough. He did enough. Was in the military but he was eighteen, and did uh, just enough time to qualify for VA assistance, which later on he didn't need because he was handicapped, not from the war uh-huh. or anything, but a very interesting person. And we were, I was the longest with him for 22 and a half years. Uh-huh. And um, he's a very, a man of courage. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, he was, I have to say that I had remarkable luck with significant others, uh-huh. except they do die. But yeah, that, But that's part of life, and you just accept
2: it. Right, him. as we know, statistically- and, uh, and, and
3: Leon, I should say, was only four years Older than I, and Joe Craigmile was 11 years older than I. So uh-huh. I was born back, and my first husband was actually uh, 10 months younger than I. We got okay. married way, way too young. He 18, I 19. And it was not because I was pregnant or anything. It, we, we, I always say that we got married to lose our virginity because we were, we were kind of pious shit back then. Okay. <laughs> not like folk are today Uh uh-huh yeah there are more okay
2: so back in terms of uh the the hiking track of your one of the things you've done that you've loved doing in your lifetime um with uh leon was that when you were starting to decline in your own hiking capacity
3: no i just always have done a lot of hiking whether i have alone or with somebody else yeah and leon did he hike with you leon couldn't no he was he was he his leg was bad he had it had a freak God. accident well, He's 12, but he, he recovered enough to do enough time in the military, just not in uh, more capacity. There was no yeah. war going on.
2: Most, you know, in my time, again, I'm, I'm uh, what, 30, 35 years, 33 years younger than you or something. And in my time, in the late 20th century and the early 21st century, most of the people that I know that like hiking um, are, I know men and women, identified people. Uh, but when I know people that are more female-identified, a lot of times they they don't hike alone I know
3: that but it takes all the fun out I mean, <laughs> and, and and many times I've been asked are you all by yourself out in the wilderness and I said no with God uh-huh. now in Mormon country that was instantly understood uh uh-huh. but no, I don't know what other states <laughs> in Mormon land I always say the other Utah
2: yeah so-called Utah which um I've learned is a go shoot territory Ute territory Navato- Navajo territory Paiute territory and Shoshone territory, depending yeah. on which part of so-called yeah. Utah. So yeah. you uh, also got to hike in so-called South Dakota. I think you said right. Yeah. The Black Hills. The Black Hills. And and that's Native land. That's um. Oh, no, that's, yeah, that's the sacred,
3: Sioux. Yeah. The sacred sacred mountains of the Sioux. Uh huh. Yeah.
2: Um, and oh, in our home studio, there's a cat that's joined us. She's trying to make some oh, sounds she... into the microphone, but she can be vicious. So. <laughs> I've got a slash on my
3: hand. Oh, <laughs> She bit me this morning. I'm not sure why.
2: <laughs> um, so what other states other than South Dakota, so-called Arizona, so-called but, Utah? New so- Mexico. New Mexico. And, Mexico
3: and Colorado. I do But uh-huh. I was never fond of Colorado because actually I've never been higher than 12,000 feet, but that's Timpanogos. And Timpanogos is the highest uh, mountain in the Wasatch range there. are. And But um, let's see trying to think. But anyway, in Colorado, every time I was there in the afternoon, it was sure to rain, Uh whatever I was doing. yeah. Uh, So I'm not, plus I can't stand the cold, so.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) And so now, in your 80s, do you do any hikes anymore?
3: No. Okay. It's a great tragedy of my life, but one accepts it at Mm -hmm. the age of 86. And I'm very grateful for all that I did. I don't think I could have done more. Uh-huh. no matter what. So I, I'm thankful that I can look at all these things and say, hey, I've been up there because I'd be very sad to say, oh, if only I had done that and that and that.
2: Yeah. This reminds me of a song, and so let's listen to that.
1: Oh, Sister Colorado, a river worth a song carved the canyons, push the mountains A flow of power swift and strong And pale green waters speak of living They whisper names of days long gone They cut highway to the ocean At the journey's end they linger long Until the sun calls them sky highward again
2: Yes, uh, my name is Pegasus, and I'm here with Joan Thomas. Uh, we're talking about certain aspects of her life these past 86 years, and um, let's. Uh, as you were just talking about uh, tax resistance um, and 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 poverty as a way to not have to pay taxes, um, how how does that pertain? How does that relate to your writing? Have people read your books? Well, There's- I think
3: they've read some, but a lot of the stuff are memoirs and things. Mm-hmm. but um, and poetry and yes. children's novels and stuff but do you
2: consider yourself a poet or a prose writer no
3: I just said it myself a plain writer and to write no matter what that's what I'm supposed to do uh-huh. and fame and fortune is the least thing important for that yeah
2: yeah fame and fortune is the least thing important for that so you're committed to writing
3: well I have to do something to while <laughs> I always say that while away my time, aside besides hiking. Which I can't do anymore, and so on.
2: Uh-huh. Well, thank heavens you're still able to write. Um, did you um, did you move quickly into the computer age? Because everybody I know writes with computers. Oh God, yes.
3: I, a computer is a great blessing uh-huh. because you can do your own your correction right while you're writing and. Yeah. You don't have to make different, more three or four drafts. You do them while right writing. When
2: I first met you and I was studying Ammon Hennessy for the documentary I did in 2004, uh, back at the turn of the century, um, you handed me a manuscript, uh, uh, 1,600 pages, um, hand typed, not computer typed. Oh, yeah. Back then. So sometime in this century, you've moved into. No, computers. that was
3: 2002. That's when I wrote that four volume biography of Ammon, yeah. Uh-huh. And that that I was I had electric typewriter by then. Okay, so it wasn't. Yeah, but there are some writers, so I've heard, that still use a old fashioned, not elect manual typewriter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Um, what can you tell us something about uh, your 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 favorite books that you've written, or publications that you've written out of the nine? Oh, I couldn't care less about what I write. <laughs> I,
3: once they're, they're done, I, I forget about them. Uh-huh. But I suppose I like my poetry uh, books best. It's uh-huh. two of them. Poems of the Years, 1952, yeah. whatever. And then Tiger Rider. Tiger Rider. I, I like poetry. Uh,
2: well, we should make sure, you still have some copies of that, we should make sure we get some in the, the bookstores of the Central Valley of California because I don't know if there are you any. You can try it. Yeah, so many I mean, times I, when I interview people on this show, um, we ask about like where people can find out more about your stuff.
3: Okay, well, let's say for the, oh, for, oh, the White Widow. Yeah, that's my friendship with Jesse Garcia, one of the men that Ammon was picking for in 1961. And that's when Ammon was doing these huge long fasts. Uh-huh. And I was really unhappy when he was really on these long fasts. for J- that Jesse Garcia, I us Garcia... Paulson and Rivenberg, three condemned murderers. Uh-huh. After all his fasting up at the Capitol, State Capitol and all that, and looking like he did, like a, some gaunt skeleton out of hell. Um, I mean, fasting was rough on him. That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. But, um, no, they, he, they, they all... Rivenberg, unfortunately, the, the day before a reprieve came through for him, suicide
1: Wow. And
3: Jesse got his commuted to life. Paulson got his commuted to life, too. But with help and counseling, Paulson did get out.
1: Oh,
2: wow.
3: And he lived a satisfactory life. He may still be alive. I don't know. Wow. Um, because he was younger than I was when he was doing those picketing. But um,
2: Wow. So Ammon Hennessy was picketing for these people in Utah well, in the early 60s, it, and two of them made it out alive, one suicide. But
3: yeah, but... Um, with Ammon, whoever was picketing, they got reprieves, uh-huh. and that will be even the, re- the the two men that he was picketing for. When he died, he was know, he he had no longer he had quit fasting. That had just become Lance too hard. And Lance, Lance and Kielbach. and Kilbuck, yeah, and those two also got reprieves.
2: Now, Joan, you've said that you um, have successfully published nine. Uh, self-published. Self-published, nine things, yeah, um, including The White Widow. So you've published nine things successfully, self-published, but uh, I've also heard that you have destroyed some of the works you did that were not published, like ten things at least. Well, they were novels. Novels, okay.
3: Yeah, I was in my 20s, yeah, in my 20s. In your 20s. In well, I've had a number of agents over the years. I, I used to say I can always get an agent, but I can't get, get published. Uh-huh. Well, I think my stuff's too offbeat. Okay, I, I really don't have the faintest
2: idea. Where can people find your stuff and 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 benefit from reading what you've written?
3: Well, I think that for one thing, they should really read the life of the, the White Widow. That's about the memoir I did for Jesse Garcia, uh-huh. and it's an incredible story because he's one of he's an example of what happens to. Why? Well, what happens to persons who never have a chance from birth?
2: Oh, from the get-go. Yeah. We've been talking to Joan Thomas, the widow of Edmund Hennessy, about Joan's long life of writing uh, as a writer and hiking. And Jesse gave me permission to write whatever I damn please. Okay.
3: Because otherwise I wouldn't have. And even some of the stuff I did keep out because I just did. Uh, you yeah. know, you want to... <laughs> You don't want to make it too gruesome for the reader. But yeah. I guess I probably did say it, put it down very honestly. But we had a marvelous friendship. Uh-huh. We had a lot of fun together. And even in security, I was able to visit him, just the two of us sitting in the, in the visitor's room. And then the first thing he said to me when I came, because he, he, he had to give permission for me to visit, he said, well, before we go get any further with this, I want you to know my diagnosis here is psychopath. And so I burst out laughing. I thought that was hysterically funny. And I said, gee, I've never been friends with a psychopath before. Uh-huh. And we both were burst out laughing. Uh-huh. And from then on, we, we, were, we were really good friends. Uh-huh. And I think I was the only person that ever visited him. Wow. Yeah, so it was a good friendship. Well, thank you. Through the grace of God, yeah.
2: Thanks for your time today. Um, thank you, Joan Thomas, for joining us on Peril and Promise.
0: Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Thanks for being here. Uh-huh. Yeah, thanks for having me. You've been listening to Peril and Promise, KCBP's half-hour show regarding environmental injustices and human recovery from health hazards. More information can be found on kcbpradio.org, including our weekly schedule of programming. Peril and Promise is hosted and edited by Pegasus. Opinions expressed on this show are not representative of the Modesto Peace Life Center, KCBP Radio, or their presidents and board of directors. Our theme music for Peril and Promise was produced by Alzara Getz of Dorothy's Melting and Eileen Shaughnessy of The In-Betweens. Thank you again for tuning in to Peril and Promise on KCBP. Here in the Central Valley of California, the archives of this and other KCBP shows can be accessed at kcbpradio.org.